Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke 19. Luke 19, we're continuing in a series called It's Like This. It's like this is an examination of the parables. It's a, and, and the reason that we're doing this is because I was driving down the road a couple of weeks ago and the Lord spoke to me as I was just kind of minding my own business and he said something to me that really struck me in the heart. And he said this, my kingdom is bigger than you know. My kingdom is bigger than, than you know. Now, I don't want that to simply be something that impacted my heart. My prayer as a pastor is that you too would be impacted by that statement. That God's kingdom is bigger than you know. And that's why we've been looking deep into the kingdom of God and saying, God, as we're seeing many come to Christ, as lives are being transformed, and, 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 and today we'll, we'll baptize at least 15 more. 15 people have signed up and made public professions that Jesus is the Lord of their life. To glory, glory be to God. We're so grateful, and there will probably be more. There always is. But we're seeing the kingdom expand, and the reason that we're looking closely at the parables is because we're saying, God, if your kingdom's bigger and it's growing, teach us how to walk with you in this kingdom. Teach us how the kingdom is supposed to operate. You see, he said to his disciples in Luke chapter 8, when he was exp uh, you know, expounding on the parable of the sower, he said something very profound when his disciples said, teacher, what does this parable mean? What does this story mean? And he said these powerful words, to you, verse 10, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others... It's given in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Parables was the dividing line between the religious who just, they were, they were just not really pressing into the relationship with Jesus. They were just religious people and they were, they were going through the motions, many of them trying to make an accusation against Jesus. And when he told parables, they would hear it and walk away in confusion. But the disciples would come and Jesus would share with them the mysteries about the kingdom of God, the things that most people didn't understand. And if you're here today and you're in relationship with God, I've got good news for you. God isn't wanting to keep you in the dark. He wants to give you revelation. He wants to give you insight. He wants to show you how to walk and talk and pray and see the kingdom of God expand all around you. Well, today we're going to look at a at a great story. It's called the parable of the minas. And I want to share with you a message called the ruler of the kingdom. It's like this, the ruler of the kingdom. This kingdom has a ruler. And Jesus tells this wonderful parable called the parable of the minas. Now, if you've been, if you're a person that's read a lot of the scriptures, you've read the gospels, you read the parable of the minas and it sounds very similar to another parable called the parable of the talents. What I would say to you is that they are similar but very different. And it's really important that we look at this parable and say, okay, God, what is the mystery that you're trying to reveal through this parable? Let's read it together in Luke 19 
Beginning in verse 11, it says, Now as they heard these, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So the top level reason he's sharing this is because he needed to, con- to tell the people, the kingdom is here, but it's not yet. They all thought it was, it was coming to a close. That with the advent of Messiah, now he was going to reign on earth. Because many of them had rejected the idea of a suffering Savior. So he taught them this way. He said, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants. And remember from this series, we've been learning about servants and how they think. He said he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. So he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in very little, you have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came and said, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master... He has 10 minas. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, uh, in this story, there is, there is one who was made ruler. There, is, there are servants and there are citizens. And we're not going to spend time breaking all of that down as, as we did with the previous, the, the, the previous uh, parable. Because I believe God wants to give us revelation about who the real ruler of the kingdom is. And here, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus is the ruler of of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the ruler. Now we have all kinds of titles for Jesus. All kinds of them. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Man, that's so good. It's the, 
the one Jewish guy in the service got excited. I love that. I love that he's excited about that. You know why? Because I said lion of the tribe of Judah, and all you Gentiles, you thought lion, witch, in the wardrobe, Aslan. <laughs> Jesus is Aslan. And so we, 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 we kind of look at these titles, and it, it, it tends to shape our thinking about who Jesus is. We know that Jesus is a Savior. We know he's the Lamb of God. There are other titles given to Jesus, which we, we need a little closer examination of. We're going to look at that today. Now, there are some kingdom secrets revealed about the ruler of the kingdom in this parable. First thing you, you, I really want you to get in your spirit, this is a different idea about Jesus. We don't, we don't always think of him using these terms. Jesus is generous. Jesus is generous. Well, look what he does in, in, in Luke 19, verse 12. It says, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas. Now, a mina is equal to about 100 days wages. One mina a hundred days wages. It's like, it's kind of like getting paid to stay home because of COVID. <laughs> Only better. It's more than enough. See, he was going away to receive a kingdom and he was coming back. And this is the part that we've got to get into our hearts and spirits in the kingdom of God. Those of you who are sons and daughters, God has given us more than enough to span the gap of time from the day that he ascended from the Mount of Olives to the day he returns. Oh, I need to remind some people in here. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming soon. He is coming back, and oh, I am so glad. Oh, that's going to be a glorious day. Come on, no more tears. Come on, we're going to hear the sound of that trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Man, I tell you what, I don't know if we're going to sleep in heaven. I plan on taking a couple naps. But no more creaking when you get up out of bed. No more cracks. No, no more having to warm up a little bit. Amen. All the young people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I, I pray the Lord blesses you with many, many crowns of years. You'll find out. Oh, we're going to enter into that time. And I think many of us are looking forward to that time. But what we do because we're so looking forward to the perfection of eternity is we miss the possibilities of right now. 
We miss those possibilities. And see, if we begin to think of Jesus as generous, then suddenly we what? We redeem the time we have here and make it fruitful for the kingdom. I love this. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus of our Lord, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things, say all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, which having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now listen, there's a whole sermon series just in those verses right there. But here's what you need to hear this morning. God has given you all things, sons and daughters. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. No, the plan of the end time church is not to bunker down. We're not hiding with our AR and stacks of ammo. I mean, I'll take an AR and stacks of ammo. But I place no faith in a round fired. My faith is in the victory that was won over the enemy at the cross. And my God, who was so generous, he gave me everything I need for life and godliness. Now listen to me, church. Here's the problem. God has given us everything we need. The problem isn't his supply. It's our willingness to withdraw from that account. Oh, if you only knew you had an inheritance available to you, you wouldn't be living so low. You wouldn't be living low living. You'd be living knowing, oh, my God is generous. My God's given me everything I need. Through the knowledge of him who has called me by glory and virtue. And I, I, I know that, that most of us are, are dreaming. We're dreaming about the day when we can sing that old hymn in heaven. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Oh, don't start singing. I'm about to ruin it for you. See, he said that in John 14. He said, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house, King James says, there are many mansions. NIV says many rooms. That's why most of y'all won't even read the NIV. You're like, man, that's a downgrade. <laughs> King James, I had a gated community. <laughs> Keep everybody out of my house and my neighborhood in heaven. I hate to ruin it for you. Sing the song if you like, but you ain't getting a mansion. It's bridal talk. 
John 14, when he is declaring he's given us everything and he is going to supply everything, he's saying, I'm going to my father's house to build a bridal chamber and I'm going to prepare that place and I'm going to fashion that place. And oh, listen, here's the truth. He says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. You need to hear this church. He's in heaven making all things ready while the bride should be stewarding everything she's genuinely been given which leads me to my next point this ruler of the kingdom Jesus he gives us a grace to gain not only does he give us more than enough He gives it to each one of us, but then he gives us a grace, or you could say it this way, a divine empowerment to give increase to what God has entrusted to you. I love this. You see, in verse 15, it says, and so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained. Did you know that one day you're going to stand, not before the lion, not before the lamb, but before the ruler of the kingdom, and he's going to say, what did you gain? With what I gave you. Oh, that's way more than going into a hole and hiding, isn't it? Now listen, here's the good thing about God. If God expects us to gain, that means he puts a grace on us to see increase with everything that he has entrusted to us. You see, every person was expected to use what the kingdom had given them. All of you under the sound of my voice, you are expected to use the gifts that God has put in you. And some of you right now are feeling terrible about not signing up for Harvest Night. <laughs> it's okay. There'll be more opportunities. Notice what Romans 12 says. Verse 6, it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. We're called to use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, who who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, when we use what God gives us, we can expect increase. You say, little old me, I don't think I'm, I, I don't think there's anything special about the mina I got. I question whether or not God can use me and that there would be increase. Here's what I question. I question those thoughts. 
Question those thoughts, but don't question God's word. Don't question God's word. God says, I've given you everything that you need. I've generously gave it to you. And now I'm setting a grace on you to use those gifts for my glory. He wants you to use it for his glory. And no, this week we're not signing up people for ministry spots. This is not a pastoral arm twist. This is Calvary. Get ready for the expansion of the kingdom of God in this region where mothers and fathers and children and young people and grandmas and grandpas come into the kingdom wave after wave after wave as we steward what God has given us us and he gives increase oh I was saying it all week long with great faith man I'm praying over the seeds that we sown into the lives of those thousands of people who are on our property. Here's what I believe. I believe hundreds of souls are coming into the kingdom. Oh, they might be sleeping this morning. They might just now be sipping their first cup of coffee. But there will come a moment where they remember a face of one who smiled, who loved, who reached, who gave. And they think to themselves, man, I need God in my life. What was the name of that church again? Where did, where was I, where did, it gave my kids way too much candy, but I'll forgive them. (laughs) See, I believe we're going to see a multiplied return. Why? Because Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For if he sows to the flesh, he'll of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Man, do you hear that? That there are seeds that you can sow into God's kingdom and they will reap in other people being transformed by the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. See, that's increase. Well, it does bear this question. Okay, what does does a grace to gain look like? What's it look like in a life? How do I live this? this? In this grace to see increase. Well, that's John 15. Here's what it looks like. This is how we live every day. And it's put together in just a couple of verses. It says this in verse 7, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, now listen, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. That means you're going to have a prayer life. You're going to begin to pray. And what? It shall be done for you. And it says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. It's God's will that you bear much fruit. 
I know that some of you are terrified the whole idea of sharing the gospel. I know it's problematic for some of you. You're like, oh, I mean, I don't know how to talk about Jesus to anybody. Here's how I know that. I have sat at tables with many of you. And, and someone asked this question inevitably. Who would like to pray over the meal? Immediately, every opening on your body closes. Clack, 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 clack. <laughs> and you sit there in silence. And inside you're going, in the name of Jesus, don't call on me. Don't call on me. <laughs> I can't even pray out loud. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. <laughs> now you think two things are happening. I'm never going out to eat with him. <laughs> or now I'm going to have to pray over the meal. <laughs> no, my point is, it could be that we don't realize that if we would just step into a moment, the grace to increase would fall on us. I don't know where you are, and you may be a, a, a very shy person. We'll just take that first step and let the grace come on you. Take the next step and let a grace come on you. No one gets to forgo the process of growth in the kingdom of God. Nobody does. God wants you to increase, but he's, he's going to let you be faithful with small things, and then he's going to give you increase. You just have to believe God that my life is meant to bear fruit for the kingdom. Listen, it is not going to work around here that only 2% of the church is sharing their faith with anybody ever. That's what the stats say. 2% of believers ever share their faith with others. I'm here to tell you, we're going to break the stats. We're going to embrace what God says. We're going to say, Lord, we're just going to take you at your word. We're going to get empowered by the Spirit, do things we could never do on our own, and see a grace to increase fall upon our lives and see the kingdom of God expand in supernatural ways. And then we're going to look just like him. Let me give you this last truth. The mystery revealed in the parable of the mina is Jesus is king. Listen to me. He's king. I told you there were titles. Some that we embrace and others we neglect. Listen, church, this is the one we tend to neglect. After all, we're Americans. We will not have a king to reign over us. By the way, I think your citizens should first your citizenship should first be in heaven and second in America. You're not an American first who happens to be a Christian. If you are, it's out of order. I'd like you to meet the King of Kings, 
the one to whom the White House answers. The heart of the king is in his hands, and he, like a water course, he turns it wherever he wants. Listen, Jesus is king. You say, how do I know that? Well, when he shared the parable of the minas, there was a great event that took place that most of us only ever hear about once a year in religious circles on Palm Sunday. It's called the triumphant entry. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, here's what it says. It says, the whole crowd is shouting, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. Zechariah prophesied that great triumphal entry when he said this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this day marked the public acknowledgement of Jesus as Messiah and king. But what do kings do? They rule. They make decrees. And here's what they do. They issue judgment. It got real quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> they issue judgment. Luke 19, 16 in his parable it says, he says, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So some judgments the king gives are followed with rewards. Man, isn't that good? When you're a servant, and remember, Within these parables, servants are not slaves. In our thinking of slavery connected to our history, servants think like sons. They're sons and daughters. Here's why. Because Jesus said, I come as one who serves. So servants think like sons and daughters. And so here's this servant who takes it and gives increase to his life. And he brings that increase to him and says, look, your kingdom has expanded. And the king pronounces a judgment. Well done. Oh, I've got some news for all believers who give themselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you place faith in Christ, one day you're going to stand before his throne and hear the sweetest words any humanity has ever heard. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. It comes from stewarding what he's done. But notice this. What's the reward for stewarding a mina? By the way, in case 
You just want to use common language. What's the reward for stewarding a dollar? In this story, minas are money. 100 days wages. What's the reward? People. Oh, church, this isn't a message on, on giving, but if you could ever conquer the Babylonian mammon spirit that rests upon money, that money talks to you. Money says, if you don't have me, you won't have enough. If you try to do that good thing, if you try to give to missions, or if you, if you return the tithe, you won't have enough. You know what that is? That's money talking. That's a spirit talking called mammon. But oh, if you would take that and make it a servant to the kingdom of God and live in victory over money, God says, if you'll be faithful in a small thing, I'll give you true riches, which is souls. That's what this says. You'll become the person I can use in a multiplied way as soon as you say, money, you're going to be a servant of the king. I'll tell you right now, your money is Either your slave or you are its slave. Bless God. Make it your slave so God will give you people. So God will give you souls. If you say, oh, I'm not connected, I'm not living for the next paycheck, I'm living for the next person that'll bow their knee and have the transforming life of Jesus come and make them who they were created to be. See, the king grants reward. That reward is people. But he not only rewards the just, but also the unjust. And you need to hear me today. Verse 24 it says, he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. They said to him, master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have even what, what he has will be taken away from him. By the way, notice the difference between what happens to the servant and what happens to the citizens. The servant loses reward. The citizens who reject him as king they lose their life. That's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We don't say it enough. There is a heaven, a place of eternal bliss. It is the place where God abides. There is that reward of being with him forever. But make no mistake. If you reject the king and his reign and rule over your life, there is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where the rich man was tormented daily in the flames to the point where he said, I would take 
Take a leprous finger dipped in water to touch my tongue to give me a moment's release. Listen, hear me. I do not feel as a shepherd that I would be doing you any favors if I only preached heaven to you. I have to preach the full counsel of God's word, which means that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And the way you miss the judgment is to receive what Christ did for us on the cross by grace and faith in him. I've got good news. There's grace to come into that kingdom today. We don't earn our way. Ephesians 2 said, we're saved by grace, God's undeserved favor. Through faith. That means my confident confident belief in who he is. That I believe Jesus is the son of God. That he died on the cross to pay the payment for my sin. That he was buried and raised again. And all who place faith in him will experience eternal life. That's what the scripture tells us. It's not something we earn. It's a gift you receive. But listen, when you receive the free gift, here's the other side of the coin. You give him your whole life. That's the right response. Give him your whole life. If you're asking the question today, how little can I do and still make it to heaven? You're asking the wrong question. When you know you have a generous Savior, when you know he puts grace on your life to see others changed and increase to come through you, when you begin to know that he is king and really what we need isn't that that kind of pride, but we need humility, you begin to say, God, how much can I give? You gave your all for me. The only right response is to surrender all to you. Romans 5 says it this way, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's what that means. You're saved from that judgment. How? Through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, his resurrection life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we now have received reconciliation. He says, listen, if you want to miss the wrath, surrender to Christ. But he also says here, but listen, it's not just about missing the wrath. It's about living the life he has given you. It's about making a difference for his kingdom. It's about saying, I have a revelation that if Jesus is generous and I'm called a little Christ, that's what Christian means, then I too should be generous. 
If Jesus got a multiplied return on his life that was sown, then I can believe that with the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be a multiplied return through my life for the glory of God. And I'm going to live my life for one. Jesus the King. Jesus the King. And if you ever experience his love, you ever experience his presence, you ever experience it, you'll humble your heart, you'll humble your life, and say, Lord, I'm